Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. We want to give you a moment uh, for meditation, some silence and solitude as we close our eyes before the Lord, and to center our heart and our spirit so that we can hear from God in ways we can understand. You know, if you're a seeker, God understands the way you think. God understands your story. So he's going to speak in serendipitous ways. He's going to use sometimes that you understand. And for believers, God knows every part of the things that we're worrying about. So let's be still right now and exhale. Just all your concerns, anxieties, all those automatic thoughts that are harassing our minds and bring it to the feet of the Lord. And inhale the presence of God. The Bible says that cast our anxieties upon the Lord for He cares for us. And though our situation and circumstances might not change immediately, God lifts us up in perspective and knows that He got us. All God's people pray. Amen. Welcome, guys. All watching online in different parts of the country and the world. Those here at AMC 19th on Broadway, great to be with you. As we move into the Advent season, which is Adventus in Latin, of the arrival and the coming of Jesus. I think it's particularly important to talk about this particular topic I'm going to address is the idea of charity, the idea of altruism is what you should get to. And, and during the holidays, a lot of people think about volunteering for soup kitchens and charities. And if you look at the economic data in the United States, the greatest amount of giving happens in Christ, during Christmas season. Also, the greatest amount of buying output happens during Christmas. Actually, 50% of all retail sales takes place in the month right after Thanksgiving. How many people here are already listening to Christmas music right now? If you're not, you're a sinner. You're, you're, you're a cringe. I'm already listening to Michael Buble. Already brought out Josh Groban, and you might like look at me like, come on. But I'm not grumpy like you. I'm filled with the love of Christ. You know what I'm saying? I'm celebrating early. I can't wait for Jesus to arrive. You're like, oh, whatever. The Spirit needs to convict you and work on you. But, but particularly at this season during Advent, we need to be able to distinguish between what is good versus what is God. We have a lot of ideas about what is good, the most good, the greatest good. But then 
that might not necessarily be something that God is doing. And knowing the difference is critical. Because a lot of times we're just chasing our tail with good ideas. The good idea uh, created the nuclear bomb, the Manhattan Project. Yes, it defeated a threat at the moment in Hitler and fascism, and we needed it, but ultimately it could end all life on Earth. A good idea at the present contextual moment might not be such a good one in the future. Gentrification for some, the wealthy, is a good idea. For developers, is a good idea, but not for those living in inequity and inequality. So it's critical to know why we as a community of faith centered around Jesus is led by Jesus to lead others to Jesus. We need to be led more by Jesus. Let's put this picture up. Uh, this tweet this week became a sensation trending on Twitter. And of course, you know, a lot of millennials and Gen Z love the UN and Davos. It's like a brand they wear, you know what I'm saying? It's like, if you could be part of it, you'll, you'll die to intern there, you'll die to work there. And of course, the UN has a very powerful reputation, although I question what they accomplish sometimes. But Musk and the UN were combating on Twitter, which is very interesting, usually. And uh, someone said at the UN that $6 billion would eliminate poverty from the earth. A sensationist claim. And Musk, being the first person in human history to be worth over $300 billion, which is three times more than Warren Buffett, Man, I still regret this. I told people don't buy Tesla. Because when you calculate the earnings of what they actually put out, it's like paying 3,000 times what you would pay for Apple, which is insane. I don't understand it. This is like the Hitchhiker Guides Galaxy valuation. It's not based on earnings, but maybe potential. But, but anyway, that's my trail. Lord help me. But <clears throat> must said if uh, the world food program, the sponsored by the UN, can describe on this twi Twitter thread exactly how $6 billion will solve world hunger. I will sell Tesla stock right now and do it. But it must be open source accounting so the public sees precisely how the money is spent. But the UN raised more than that per year, but double the $6 billion, a little more than that, but didn't solve world hunger because you should know this by now. Psychology catching up to what Jesus says most of the time. And you go, well, how does he know? Well, he's God. But Jesus said, you shall always have the poor among you. And you're like, why, Jesus? That sucks. Why can't we have a utopian society? You know, communism and Karl Marx's idea is based on a utopian society. Anybody promises utopia, run. Because dystopia soon comes forth and emerges. We've seen this in history play out. We know that poverty is not a technical problem. It's an adaptive problem. It's a systemic problem. It's the way the world is structured. Disparity will exist no matter what system you come up with. 
You know why? Tell someone next to you, you know why? The collective capital, intellectual capital is pretty high. Do you know why? No, you don't know why. Because systems are created by who? Humans. Marx thought he was brilliant, but he's human. Humans are what? Flawed. So every system is what? Flawed. And even if the person who has to run the system, humanity, which what? Becomes flawed. So therefore, even have a perfect system, you have a contagion. Who's the contagion? Humanity. So therefore, you can't reconcile the adaptive problem, which is what? Human beings. Sometimes people are oppressed. Sometimes they're just lazy. You're like, no, 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 everybody's oppressed. No, that's not case-by-case -case basis. This is why communism didn't work. You're, you know, you're like a neuroscientist and a physician, and you studied 15 to 20 years, and now you're getting paid $5, like in Cuba. Do you think you're going to want to study? They're, the doctors in Cuba are telling right now to their kid, don't be a doctor. It's not worth it. They're struggling to feed their families. A fellow of mine in Harvard works at Cuba. He goes, isn't it crazy the inequity? This idea of utopia, fair society, but in the end, the system isn't fair. And this is why we come back to why I personally believe in Jesus, not political institutions. Because I understand something that Irving Christo, the father of, of conservatism, modern conservatism, who was a libertarian at one point, Come to, he, he fought for utopia and equality, and at one moment in history, the public intellectual, he used the phrase mugged by reality. Tell someone else you mugged by reality. You've been mugged by reality? And usually the most ardent conservatives, the ones that actually think practically, not romantically about life, and I, I, I'm independent, so I'm not, you know, saying anything, pushing any kind of polity, but they've tried to fight for equality and end up being disappointed because when you romanticize life, it falls in, in darkness and despair. And this is precisely why I'm a Christian, because I believe the greatest movement on earth to create the greatest kind of equality is found in the movement of Jesus and it, has to, it can't come through a government because you can't coerce people to be magnanimous. You can't even coerce people from being mendacious or being evil because what? The human heart, again, is a struggle. And the whole point of the gospel is that it changes the heart. And that's why if you're a Christian, you want to be led by Jesus, not an ideology. Tell someone next to you, I want to be led by Jesus. Not an ideology. Right? Because a lot of times, who, people who are super liberal, and I could tell you this, and then you're like, well, they make so much sense. Dude, they said this 100 years ago. Conservatives, they say the same. They're ideologues, idiots. They're just spitting out someone smarter than them. They're just parrots. Let, let me tell you, Solomon tell told us already in scripture that there's nothing new under the sun. Everybody who's smart died in ancient Greece, really. 
they're the smart ones, okay? So you come in here, people talking about all this. The only sustainable movement that moved society progressively forward is the message of Jesus, his gospel. And sometimes God moves in ways counterintuitive to our good ideas. Especially when we come to Advent and Christmas season, I think it's very important to pay attention to that. So let's learn the difference between a good thing and a God thing. And why, let me add, that sometimes the greatest enemy to God's miraculous plans is our good. So let's go to the text. So we come to John 5. And the context is in Bethsaida, this is actually a pagan temple that rivaled Christianity in, the, in antiquity. A lot of people read this text in John 5 thinking that this was a Christian or Judeo-Christian type of legend from the Jews, but this was actually a pagan rival where an, they would rumor an angel would touch the pool, but really what it was was a modern-day spa. How many people like to spa? Raise your hand if you like the spot. Man, you know, I don't like the spot. I don't like going in with people and stuff. And, you know, I don't like people, t- I don't like massage, I don't like people touching me. It's just weird. And I'm like, why am I paying you to touch me? That's just weird. And, you know, and um, <laughs> I'm sorry. And very introverted. And um, so it was this modern day spot, and it basically uses the idea of cleansing. And it was a very clean, you know, mineral water, a lot of juices to kind of take out the toxins. And a lot of people did feel better when they went into the pool. So it's rumored that an angel touched it. And it rivaled Christianity to a certain point. And so this man, who is Jewish, right, in the story, in the narrative, goes to see if he can get healed. Because he was, he was an invalid for 38 years. He was paralyzed for 38, 40 years. And if you read this text carefully, if you looked and viewed it through the lens of the greatest good, you would think that what would Jesus do? Jesus would heal the multitude of people that are lying there. But here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One was there, had been there an invalid for 38 years when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time He asked him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Jesus here focuses on how many many people? One. The greatest good would be what? To start a hospital, to start an institute. This is what humans do. That's what public health is. We look through a utilitarian framework, meaning how can we sanction and use these limited resources based on our economic output to serve the most people we can. That's a secular framework. It's a system. God doesn't work in that system. And so because you've been educated in the West and you're like, well, I'm smart. That's what we should be doing. We should look everything through the lens of a utilitarian framework. How can we help the most people right now? It's not what God does. It's not what Jesus does. Jesus focuses on one, not the many. Why? Well, because he's God. He knows what he's doing. 
Tell someone next, he's God, he knows what he's doing. And this, a lot of times the church goes, well, I don't like what God does. Well, that's why your, your life is the way it is. We're, Jesus focuses on the one person because that's what the Father is doing. If you read John 5, 19, Jesus, when the Pharisee says, why'd you do this? He goes, I only do what, what I see my Father doing. So it's counterintuitive, but Jesus prioritizes calling over what? Needs. That's what he does. He's led by the Father prophetically, not economically. That's very important to understand. Because a lot of times how we get things done is through coercion. That's how public health does it. Oh, you don't want to get a measles shot? Okay, we're going to take away public education. That's coercion. And coercion is necessary because human beings are not rational, remember? Right? If you have a measles outbreak in Harlem or in any other areas, you're going to have to use coercion as a public health tool to get people to do what you want. Guilt them. Use empathy. For example, put this picture up here. Nathan one time sponsored a child using his birthday money in the Congo. And it was really annoying because and you're like, why? Your child is so awesome. <laughs> oh, man. And then after that age, it was like the devil in car. No, no, it wasn't that. Pretty close, though. But um, he would ask, you know, did you send the money in? I'm like, it's on automatic payment. And he goes, but I'm just afraid if you don't send the money, he's going to starve. So, you know, I have problems with this. Telling my son in Star Trek, there's something called the prime directive. Sorry for getting a little nerdy here. But, you know, when he's like six, seven, I explain things to him I probably shouldn't. I go, you are not literally giving to this kid in the Congo. He's like, I'm not? What do you mean? I have a picture of him. I want to visit him. I said, you're not, that's, that's marketing. They get the cutest kids in the Congo. I'm not even sure if he's from the Congo. It's marketing. Why? Because it's a, it's a system. World Vision is the greatest, largest, right, relief organization that's based on Christianity, most credible. But how are they going to raise money if they don't appeal to you with the cute kids? What if they had an ugly kid with no puppy? What if it was a dying puppy? I don't think you'd be inclined to give. He goes, <laughs> he was like, Dad, that's, I go, what? So if we stop giving, then World Vision is not going to sponsor me. <laughs> They're going to let them know the Kims have dropped you. That would be horrific. That would be a new type of trauma. No, they give this letter to everyone. Millions of people that give say you're sponsoring him to create a bond. They are literally what? Using coercion or guilt to get you to give. And you know what? That's why World Vision and all their, the philanthropic organizations in the world have high turnover rate because guilt doesn't work long term. If you want to give to World Vision for a long time, you have to be called to give. 
You can't be guilted into giving. Just like church, most people in the church are burnt out because they don't want to do what they do, but they do it because they feel what? Guilty. And then eventually they ghost you. Where are you? I don't know. You burn out. See, when you do ministry or anything in your life, not out of calling but needs, you eventually burn out. Because what? You are doing good. Good is directly proportional to what? Economic needs. Economic needs, what? Never, ever diminish. They only, what? Increase. So you're never going to be left off the hook. That's why we can't serve world hunger. It's a systemic issue. So why is it critical to know the difference between a good thing and a God thing? First, because... The lesson we learn is when we don't, we end up chasing our tail until we collapse from what? Nausea. And not from nostalgia. Why? When God moves, he sustains it. It's crazy. When God moves on his own will, like here, a miracle takes place. Jesus heals the man. Now it's paralyzed for 40 years. The power of God shows up. But when we, what, try to just maintain needs, it, it's completely contingent, contingent upon our economic power and how we feel, which is precarious for any ministry, for any organization. And this is why people are burned out without this boundary of being able to tell what's good versus what's God in our lives, we're always going to be just exhausted. Tell someone else, don't be exhausted. Stop being exhausted. Don't tell, them, tell them this, don't even feel bad. Stop giving to that charity right now. You're like, well, my pastor said stop giving to charity, so I'm not giving this Christmas. No, 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 that's not what I mean. You're like, it's a revival of not giving and not feeling bad. He said it's free. <laughs> From condemnation. Yeah. Because what we need to learn is we need to be led. And that's the problem. We're always just programmed and doing out of things out of guilt or shame and not being led by the Spirit. Jesus was led by the Spirit to this one person. Sometimes we're just led to one thing or two things, but be led prayerfully. Can we put the quote for John Wesley up? John Wesley said this, and a lot of people use this as their mantra in, in Christianity. And let me just tell you, John Wesley was probably one of the greatest Christians considered by most. And I'm from a Methodist church, and I think Methodism is the best. You know, not everybody could be perfect. Presbyterians, I mean, hey, you think everything is predestined, so I mean, you know John Wesley is better than John Calvin, right? Anyway, that was predestined by God. John Wesley said, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Amen? You're like, oh, is this a trick question? Amen? 
John Wesley did this in his life, and his wife left him. Journals say his wife couldn't stand the man. In his own journal, he said he got unhappily married, even though he preferred to be celibate. So I was like, what the, why the hell did you get married then? John Wesley was a force that propelled civil rights. You, one of the anecdotal reasons why England drinks tea is because of John Wesley. You're like, really? Yeah. England was a country that was filled with poverty, drunkards. And when Wesley would preach, people would come to Christ and they would ban alcohol in the town for a few years until they came to their senses. And it was freed from legalism. No, 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 but, and they had a supplement, it was tea. That's one of them, you know, human rights, children's rights. John Wesley did amazing things, but he destroyed his own personal life and family doing it. A lot of, for many years in missiology, this is what we advocated. Burn out for God. I'm not, sorry. Sometimes I'm going to be in the Caribbean island with my family, talking to my kids, and not at a soup kitchen. And I'm not going to feel guilty about it. Bam. Because I'm not going to have, I'm not going to raise atheists in my house and say, yeah, you did all these great things for God, but you sucked as a dad. Rather, I'd rather hear, you're awesome. And make real believers in our house. I would give a disclaimer to what John Wayne said. Do all the good you can by all the means you can. When you're prayerfully led, amen? Discerning between what is good versus what is God. This Christmas, this holiday season, because when you're led, powerful things will happen that will bring you joy and not burn you out. Jesus himself said, my yoke is light. Meaning when you're led by him, it should feel good. And I'm not saying that suffering is not in the Christian life because it is. And sometimes we, we have to suffer. Right? Jesus said the joy set before him, he entered the cross. But God will even sustain that when you're led. Amen? So let's move down. So that's the first thing. If you don't want to end up chasing your tail, which with little results and being burnt out by life and, not, and hating everybody and everybody hating you because you're trying to do good. Let's have a balanced perspective and be led by the Father. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. So what does that tell you? God is always at work. Tell someone, God is always at work. God is always at work. So why come up with your own work? And screw it up. 
or tire yourself out or feel guilty when he's already doing the work. If the Father is doing the work, why not join the Father and the Son and the Spirit? Kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. Why come up with, why start and reinvent the wheel when the Spirit has already invented one? The whole movement of the gospel and the kingdom of God is already in motion. Join the train in the front. Be, hop on the bandwagon. So you clearly see that the Father is only ministering to one and not the thousands that are lame, disabled. Because this is just one day. God has a plan for the whole world. Right? Jesus, last time I checked, the Bible says that Jesus died for the whole world, the cosmos, not even though the universe. But today we have to listen to his voice for today. What is God doing today? How can I join him today? So what's, what's, what do we learn? Let's move down. This is very important. Exponential change, read it with me, occurs when? Where the presence of God is, not where what? Counterintuitive. You go, well, we should give to the greatest need. No, we should give to where the presence of God is. Not the greatest need. Because the need is defined by many, can be very different. Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is working with you or without you. The Father is doing redemption right now. One of the cool stories I heard recently was from Dylan recently. He texted me out of the blue and Peeves as well. The same thing. He was pretty excited, it seems like. And he said, do you know Cecilia Pang? I said, yeah, she comes to 180. Call it the case of, I don't know how many numbers that is, of serendipity of Dylan in 180. But she's my partner in one of the courses I'm taking this semester. Serendipity. It's getting a little too ridiculous to ignore now. And I'm going to tell this prologue at the baptism, but Dylan was, is running from God from Houston, comes to New York, meets us in, in Dane to Sun because, you know, we bunch of look like a nerds in Central Park, supposedly Columbia group that was meeting up, and uh, we are basically nerds, geeks. Um, and, you know, he, he two, about two years ago, whatever, and Cecilia just recently attended, started coming to 180, and now they end up in class, and she brings it up, well, you should go to, you should come to 180. And D Dylan was like, what? <laughs> It's like he can't get away. It's like, and God was convicting Cecilia about mission. And so, so think about this, right? This is not coercion. This is not like, do mission. Go, go, go tell someone about you. Here, hand out a track. No, this is just the father, literally, serendipitously. I believe serendipity is the framework of the prophetic in a secular world to establish the reality of God's love in the way someone would understand. And Dylan's like, this is happening too much. It's too ridiculous. That is what God is calling. And God, that is what God is doing in all of us if we just obeyed his voice. But we don't because we go, we think logically, rationally, because we think we're smart. 
And we end up doing what God has never told us to do, and we feel good about it because we're doing good, but we're not doing what God is doing. Exponential change happens where the presence of God is, not where the greatest need is. Which is, yes, counterintuitive. But that's the story, the prophetic story of redemption. This is how God works. God works in mysterious ways. There are people in your life right now that God wants you to reach, and he wants to change through you, reaching out through you. All you need to do is pay attention to what God is doing, what the Father is doing. And that starts with, Father, what are you doing? How can I join? What are you doing? So let me ask you a question. Are you doing what the Father is doing in your life, calling you to? Because if you did, you would see exponential change and power not burnt out. If you're always burnt out, it means you're just doing what you think is good. And that's how the spirit is moving. So, today, let's pray as we move to Advent. God, how can I join you in what you're already doing? Not reinvent the wheel, but go where your presence is. Help me pay attention to what you might be doing. Amen? Let's stand and pray together. especially people who are smart. Many of you think you're smart. You're like, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty smart. You need to surrender your good ideas because we don't have a universe, okay? I know that the big sci-fi technocrat kind of thing is building your world, the metaverse. Zuckerberg created recently. Or, or visiting the stars with like must and Bezos. But honestly, in the end of the day, what one of the things that we need to repent in a first world, in this Ivy Tower elitist environment, is this notion that we can do anything if we can put our minds to it. <laughs> one time at, uh, during the Black Lives Matter movement and George Floyd, all that kind of stuff. I remember at a meeting at Harvard Medical School where a professor said, all we need is to get a bunch of people from all the quad schools at Harvard Medical School, Harvard Business, and we can figure this thing out, the great minds. And I was thinking, this is precisely the problem. Great minds cannot solve the problem because you... Like Musk, he doesn't even know how much milk is. How are you going to help everybody? And why disparity continues to grow is because the people who think they're smart keep thinking that I know better than you. It's a form of 
arrogance and a Messiah complex that we need to repent. The greatest minds are creating the greatest problems as well. So can we today come together before the Lord? Surrender today. Let's surrender our pride together. Let's lift our hands and let's surrender our pride together as a church. Let's surrender all our intellectual capacity and and, um, arrogance and say, God, I should already know in my life I'm not that smart. I might be book smart. That's not the same as being cosmologically smart, like running the universe. Father, we want to repent of that today and pray that we would make it a value to be led not by good ideas, ideas that we think are brilliant, but led by what you're already doing. The one that holds the universe in his hands, the one that created it, and the one redeeming it. Let's make this our prayer. In the morning when I rise. 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 Give me Jesus. by the New York Times this week. There was a piece called Building, Elon Musk is building a sci-fi world and the rest of us are trapped in it. Adams wrote Hitchhiker's Guide for the Galaxy uh, for BBC in 1977. It takes a particular aim at the mega-rich with their privately owned rockets establishing colonies on other planets. For these extremely rich merchants, life eventually became rather dull. And it seemed that none of the worlds they settled on was entirely satisfactory. Their narrator says 
either the climate wasn't quite right in the latter part of the afternoon, or the day was half an hour too long, or the sea was just a wrong shade of pink. And thus, were created the conditions for staggering new industry, custom-made luxury planet building. The wealthiest people on our planet, the smartest people, are building amazing things. And exploration is at the heart of that, and that's great. But Jesus, and why we follow Jesus in Christianity, is Jesus didn't do that. He didn't take the omniscience and the omnipresence and the omnipotence and tried to build his own greatness. Jesus, through kenosis, gave up his greatness for those least of these. He saw the little person. And it's ironic because Musk and Bezos, who read the books, missed Adam's whole point. He, he wrote Hitchhiker's Guide on a typewriter with a sticker on top of it saying, end apartheid. He was about ending oppression and making fun of the uber-rich that are in the clouds rather than really solving the humane problems that exist, the oppression that exists. So, folks, today, let's, miss, let's not miss this problem because of our own gifts. Let's use our gifts in conjunction with the Spirit to make this world better through His will and His action and His movement. Amen. Will you bow your heads for the benediction today? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people say, amen. God bless you. Go in peace.